Hey, it's Wendy. Today's podcast is about how we make really big decisions and do things that we didn't think we could do. Hello, it's Wendy Friesen. Welcome to another podcast. (laughs) So today I want to talk to you about something that is the big changes sometimes that I see in people over just a very small piece of something that we put into their brain and why it works and how it works. So for people who are depressed or addicted or have horrible anxiety or um, struggling with insomnia or being stuck in your house because you have agoraphobia, I've seen so many miraculous things happen, but I want to explain to you how that happens that people can experience a really deep and instant change, even when they didn't think that they could, even when they weren't expecting it to happen, and how it is that the brain switches something from what we were struggling with and what we were suffering from to what we do want. So you know that I am specializing in addiction freedom, not addiction treatment, but rather relapse prevention. So I hear from a lot of my people, my people, who people, who people who use that something just switched. Something happened that made them unconsciously feel different, make a different decision or have a different outlook. So how does that happen? You know, it's, it's really interesting. Like a woman who had agoraphobia, she had been in her house for eight years. She had not gone out of the house. She had two kids and a husband, but she couldn't leave the house. She had psychiatrists and doctors and everyone possible helping her for all those eight years. And at one time she said she was on 28 different medications at the same time to try to get her to go out the door. So she was listening to one of my broadcasts and she won a program called Happiness 101, which doesn't deal with agoraphobia, but something in that program when she listened, it just clicked. It did something in her brain that made her envision herself and experience herself as a person who had the freedom to go out the door. And she listened to it for two or three days and she said to me, (laughs) the most amazing thing happened on day four. I just got up and went out the door. It felt so good. I got in the car and drove to the grocery store by myself. Well, that's pretty miraculous because all the effort that she put into getting herself out of that house for eight years had no effect, but something that she felt or envisioned or experienced was then manifested in her brain as a real memory of something that it already happened or she felt she already did. So her brain made it okay for her to go ahead and do that. So now we know about neural pathways and how we grow these neural pathways to what we think about most of the time or to memories that are stored in our brain or memories we create and imagine or because of words or phrases that we use repetitively. So if you think about where your neural pathways are going in your brain when you feel like you're stuck or you're struggling with a problem, maybe they're going to access the emotional memories, the visions, the thoughts, the persistent fears, and all you're getting are the same results because of that. So here's another interesting way that this works with addiction. And you know, people try so hard to get over drug and alcohol addiction, and they spend extraordinary amounts of money going to treatment for months at a time, and then they go back and relapse. And it's because 
the brain hasn't been re-imprinted or implanted with the beliefs, values, new memories, new experiences, even if they're imaginary, that they need in order to change a behavior. There's a woman that asked me if I could help her son by having him enroll in my online addiction freedom course. And she bought it for him and had me sign him up, even though he didn't want to do it. But she figured it was worth a try. So I'm in contact with her son, and he listened to the first two days of the course with an attitude that was, he told me later, this isn't going to work, and I'm only doing it to make my mom happy. So after the first two days, he emailed me and said, you know, I have to tell you, Wendy, I was only doing this to satisfy my mom because she was forcing me to do it. He said, but today I got up and went for a run. Something clicked. I don't want this addiction anymore. I want my life back and I feel so good. And I'm going to take this really seriously and do every day in every part of this course. Well, that's kind of miraculous because here you're, you're hearing that in addiction that people have to want it. And the 12 step and AA model says, that you have to be ready. If you fail, you're not ready. It's your fault. It's not the methodology that is at fault. It's you. And if you relapse, then you haven't hit bottom. If you say, oh, yes, I've hit bottom, (laughs) then they say you haven't hit your bottom, which is even deeper. So how did this man get to the point that just within two days, all of a sudden he said, you know, I was doing this half-assed just to make my mom happy. Going from that to saying, I'm going to do this every day and I'm taking it seriously because I want my life back. I want that. So how did that happen? In the first couple days of the online course, you go into this timeline that is one week in the future and you experience yourself one week in the future with me describing many things about what you love about the decision that you made. And I describe that decision in ways that um, helps your brain form a memory that says, wow, that was easier than I thought. And this feels really good because now I know I can do some things that make me proud. Or when I look in the mirror, I see the man or the woman that I really am. And it makes me smile. So I'm implanting these emotional aspects into that future memory. And that's just the one week in the future. Then you go into the next day where you go into three months in the future and six months in the future and such. And we're implanting all these different areas of your life. What are you proud of? What are you accomplishing? What's your health like? And what's your emotional life like? How did you grow spiritually? So we talk about these as if it's the present moment in that future. And then we leave what is your real present moment where you're sitting in the chair right there in the past. And that's who you were. And then in these future moments, this is who you are now. By describing these events in the future in vivid detail with emotions and feelings and thoughts and your own inner voice and and also allowing you to look back on who you were and knowing that's no longer who you were, feeling it as real, your brain creates it as a memory, It has all the emotional content and chemical makeup and all these neural pathways that are just growing like uh, weeds to reach that memory because that feels really good. And something clicks, as people say. So now you're not in your hypnosis session anymore, but you're going about your day 
in your conversation, your brain has changed. You find that your brain is seeking out the thing that feels really good, which are those future memories, not just one, but many. And what I mean by many is that we've implanted future memories that are for health, for your emotional growth, for your pride and accomplishment, for your identity. For instance, I would talk about who you are now that you're not an addict. You're no longer going to associate your name with I'm an addict or I'm an alcoholic. You now hear your name and you say, wow, I'm Jim and I am strong and healthy and in control. Or I'm Gloria and I just love what I've created. You put things with your identity that have meaning. So you have all these things in this future timeline. You bring them to the present moment when you come back from that hypnosis session. They're implanted in this moment. You know, because really your brain slash mind doesn't really have a time construct That's something we have created in order to organize how we grow through our lives. But really, your mind or brain doesn't have that past and future. And it's just the way we choose to hold things and represent them so that we can make sense of the past and present and future. But what I'm trying to say, not to confuse you terribly, but what I'm trying to say is that we can create these future memories But they're right here in the present. Your brain is storing them as a memory that is the same as the memory that of what you had for lunch yesterday or what you're hoping to do next week. So we don't have to have experienced it for real in our life. We have to experience it vividly and involve our subconscious mind, involve our emotional self, involve our visual and auditory self. So now it's no longer trying to make a resolution or a commitment saying, I'm never going to drink again, never going to do heroin again. We've got to put something in there that is massively filled with all these emotions and feelings and sounds and identity and words and images and on and on. You get it? Okay, so that's how it kind of clicks for someone I think what gets me most excited about this part of the work, which is making that decision, how we make a decision, you know, and do we have to hit bottom? Do you have to want to quit or do you have to want it bad enough? No matter what it is, even if it's something other than addiction. Or is it possible that we can help steer that decision in the right way By using what we were given with our brain, our subconscious mind, our emotional body, the connection that we have with our heart and our brain and everything we're learning about how we make changes happen in our body and in our mind. And then we think, wow, something just clicked. So in making the decision, I can take someone who is on the fence or they're pretty sure they don't want to quit smoking or drinking or doing drugs, I can take them within 30 minutes and have them make a decision that is so solid and so real that there is no way they would choose to go down that path of drugs or alcohol or smoking or whatever bad behaviors. Because once your brain experiences those two possible paths, one is continuing to do your life the same as you've always done it, 
The other is taking you into a path of what you do want and what you will experience when you're strong and healthy and in control and doing the things that you really love in your life. You're connected with people again. Your family has you back. And you're doing things that really feel good. So once you've experienced those two paths, I have a little technique that I do to get you to make a decision. And it's still your decision, but I don't think anyone's ever chose to go down that other path, the one they know so well with all that pain. So they choose the new one, and that decision is so cemented in their brain, their body, their psyche, their subconscious mind that they just don't even have the ability to access the old decision. So someone who isn't sure, or in the case of like, you know, a mom wants to help her son, it doesn't seem like we should say that we can make someone do that. An extraordinary amount of time and energy and heartache and money is spent on trying to get someone to stop drugs and drinking. An amazing amount for parents and families and Everyone who is a spouse or a friend or a coworker, or, you know, on and on. And then it doesn't work. And the success rate, as you know, is well under 10%. Most treatment centers have a success rate of 5 to 7%, which is the same as cold turkey with no assistance and no help. So... We can try and try and try, punish people, use tough love and reject them and cut them off and send them on their way so they feel even more rejected. But we've never done anything that gives the brain something good that it can seek out and a direction it can go to feel what it really wants and have that motivation to go to that clean, healthy, strong, in control, happy, lovable proud self. So it works. It's worked. I've been doing this for over 20 years and it's worked miraculously for people who never imagined it could work. But that's how we get that little decision. So, you know, the agoraphobic lady that went out of her house, she envisioned her future in one of those sessions. Her brain believed that it had already happened. And then she woke up the next day and she's like, ha, I'll go outside. Hmm. That feels pretty good. I'll go to the grocery store. And then she said, the next day, I went fishing with my husband, which for an agoraphobic of eight years, that's miraculous. So you might think about how you want to implant this in your life or have it affect some part of your life. So an example might be that you have an anger problem and you're lashing out at people or you're holding it in. Like there's things that you just want to say but you're holding it in. So how do we change that using this same methodology? So if there's things that set you off and trigger you, you could allow yourself to, you know, get it first, get into trance. Really important. We need to get that subconscious mind really engaged. And again, the kind of that definition of trance is that you're in such a relaxed state that your body's totally relaxed. So your brain slash mind doesn't have to pay attention to what's happening in your body. And then your conscious mind is kind of drifting off and we're opening up that beautiful dream state that is the subconscious mind, the thing that is the power behind everything. It's the engine that is running you 
But we open up that subconscious mind when we're in trance, and then we allow ourselves to imagine and guide our thoughts and take ourselves into something we do want. So let's say with an anger problem, you would go into a future moment where you're feeling peaceful and you just feel this real sense of calm and you become a person who is very patient and very kind. And then you imagine yourself responding to others in ways that are very kind. Like if you're driving down the road, if you used to have road rage, (laughs) you would imagine yourself driving down the road. Your hands are on the steering wheel. It's a lovely day. And that person over there, they didn't put their blinker on and they kind of cut you off and all of a sudden you go, huh, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. Whatever. Drivers are idiots. What am I going to do? So you imagine yourself in those situations that used to set you off and make you angry. And you just create this wonderful image, feeling, inner voice, the visuals of what's going on around you, and you put that into your experience in as many ways as possible and just feel it and kind of imagine that you see yourself smiling and laughing and going, yeah, drivers are idiots, what are you going to (laughs) do? Which is true in a lot of cases, as you know. But it's how we react, and we're reacting because our very reactive brain is accessing the thing that has this rut that is just ground into your brain that goes to one reaction, which is, I'm going to go chase them down. I'm going to go freaking kill them. So it's just ingrained, not ingrained. It's a, it's a rut that's made of these neural pathways and they all go directly to one response, but you can change that. So if we wanted to change your response to being a smoker, and you know, smoking is a really, really tough addiction to get over. No question about it. But It's because your neural pathways go to all the things that are connected with smoking, which is smoking and eating, smoking and other people that smoke and smoking and having that feeling like, oh, it just gets rid of my stress, smoking and sex and smoking and whatever. But somehow we can turn off the cravings and the urge and the belief about being a smoker. But what is the conversation that a smoker has in their mind? It said, oh, God, this is so hard. I can't go an hour without a cigarette. Oh, i got to get on the plane. This is going to be torture for four hours while I'm flying or whatever it is. So you create this expectation that causes the neural pathways to go to the response that is craving for a cigarette, torture, lack, and, you know, and all the pain and expectation when in reality that hasn't happened and you don't know that that's going to happen, but because you set yourself up for it, it's probably going to happen. I remember, this is such a great example of this, (laughs) how our brain does this. So I had been a non-smoker for about 15 years and I was going into a movie theater for a movie that was three hours long. And as I was sitting there waiting for the movie to get started, I thought, huh, I wonder what smokers do when they're going into a movie that's three hours long. They probably have to go outside before the movie and smoke a couple of cigarettes, hoping that they'll get enough in them so that they won't have cravings during the movie. And then in the middle of the movie, they're probably thinking, oh boy, I got to run out to the front and go have a few quick puffs. 
And I don't know which part of the movie I'm going to miss. It's going to be hard. So anyway, I, I don't know why, but I was just thinking about that. And all of a sudden, I got these cravings for a cigarette like you wouldn't believe. My physical body was totally involved in this feeling of craving for nicotine. And I was really seriously wanting a cigarette. And I was considering going out front and bumming a cigarette from someone because I wanted to watch the movie, but now I'm craving a cigarette. Fifteen years had gone by of no smoking. My brain still had those memories available. It still had the pathways. It took me imagining, experiencing, hearing my inner voice, thinking about going out front where the smokers are. And then, bam, my brain sent all the chemicals of those emotions and visuals and sounds and words to my body and made me have a very real, 100% real craving for cigarettes. Isn't that just the craziest thing? (laughs) Well, now I was in a pickle, you see, because I'm sitting there wanting to watch the movie, and I got to do something, but I was like, I was amazed. But it was such a big lesson in how we get our brain to give us the response, the outcome, the feelings that we ask for, good or bad. So I closed my eyes, I relaxed my body, I took some breaths, and I said, I'm not a smoker. I was done with smoking 15 years ago, and it's been easy, and I love my healthy body. I'm now releasing all of those thoughts and feelings about smoking because I am someone who is free from that, and my body feels good, and I'm back to a state of balance. And when I take a deep breath, my body is at peace and feels balanced. So that's what I did, and that's about how long I spent on it. And there you go. The feeling was gone. So when you realize that you're perpetuating this because you're providing that rut in your brain. And there is a, there's a video I have that's about how that rut is created and how it's an actual rut. And they did the experiments on mice, of course, to show how our brain gets in this rut. Well, the rut is really just a series of all these neural networks that have grown these pathways and um, they grow in the direction of what we think, what we do, what we imagine, what we expect. And then they go to the parts of the brain that hold memories, that have emotions, that match. So you are flooding your brain sometimes with all of these memories and these experiences from so far back in your past that support the expectation or the phrases or the words that you're using. So now we go back to the drug and alcohol addiction, which, you know, in our country, in the world, actually, but in, we have the most horrible problem with drug and alcohol addiction. There's a lot of people who are dying and overdosing and just destroying their lives and committing crimes and spending all this time in jail. And our, our jails and prisons are full of 80% of the people that are drug crimes. And it's a problem that the war on drugs hasn't made a dent in. The drug problem has only gotten worse. And as you know, I've been in many treatment centers because my oldest son has been in and out of treatment. When I first started doing my work in hypnotherapy, 
he was, I was putting him in treatment because I didn't know anything about drug and alcohol treatment and rehab and all that. So I had to learn over a period of years and a lot of money, $150,000, because each treatment center is like $25,000, $30,000, and those are the cheap ones. And there's others that are $40,000, $50,000. So anyway, I learned the hard way, and I would go and sit in on some of the meetings at his rehabs, and I would talk to some of the people that worked at the rehabs, and I would talk to some of the guests there, and it was just horrible what they were putting into their brains and what they made them believe and what they made them do. But I think even more than that, there's this really destructive thing we're doing to addicts. These are people that really need love and support. They need something positive that is going to help them to experience who they can be and that they're not being rejected again because they already know that really well. And we don't need to drive them deeper by saying you need to hit bottom. Oh, you haven't hit your bottom. Oh, you just didn't want it bad enough. Oh, if you work the program, the program works or vice versa. So So there's tough love. And you take your teenage son or daughter and you throw them out of the house so they're homeless. Now, how is that going to solve their drug or alcohol problem? Now, they're more scared. They're going to hang out with other homeless people and with other drug addicts. And they're going to go sleep in, you know, some flop house or in some alleys. And then they're going to get better. Punishment does not help an addict make a better decision. It only drives them deeper and farther into that hole of despair. So what's going to make you feel better? If someone tough loved you and cut you off and sent you away, and you're thinking, huh, what gutter should I sleep in tonight? The only thing that's going to make you feel better is the drugs or the alcohol. And so you can go commit whatever crimes you need to get the money to buy some drugs or buy alcohol and go farther down into that hole. So we do have some things at work, and there's a lot of people now that are in this kind of revolutionizing the drug and alcohol treatment. Um, Not enough, obviously, but there are a lot of really brilliant people who are saying it's not a disease, it's not about treatment with 12 steps, and it's not about tough love. It's about reorganizing the brain and using the things at work. So you might have heard of the Rat Park, and you can find the TEDx video about Rat Park and listen to someone describe it on there. But basically, they found that when they gave these rats water that had heroin in it and water that didn't have heroin in it, when the rat was isolated on its own, it drank from the one that had heroin, and it would just continually drink from that. When they put the rats in an environment where they had stimulating things that they could do, other rats to play with and hang out with and say, hey, high five, how's it doing, rat friend? Um, Then they had a bottle of water and a bottle of water with heroin, and the rats didn't choose the heroin water. They chose the regular water. The rats had relationships and sex and fun and games, and I don't know what they played, probably poker or something. But the point is that they chose not to do the heroin because it didn't serve the purpose. When they're alone, it serves a great purpose because it releases dopamine and endorphins and it makes you feel good. The things that you get from having relationships and challenges and accomplishments and pride. So when we have those things in our life, we don't want the heroin to be the thing that gives us that feeling. We like real life 
to give us that feeling. So now if you're addicted to your smartphone and you're just constantly, constantly, you know, looking at your phone, what are you looking for? You're looking for your brain to get a rush of dopamine to make you feel something that is that rush. If you're addicted to video games, what are you looking for? You're looking for the feelings you would get with human connection, with playing sports, doing things as a group, having some friends that you care about, being part of an organization that has a common cause that does something together. There is no shortage of opportunities like that in every city. And if nothing else, you can go volunteer and you can feel that you're worthy and you're giving and you're helping and you're making a difference. You get dopamine from that. Your endorphins are flowing. You're meeting people and you're giving them a hug now and then. And then the drugs don't satisfy that anymore. It's the human connection that your brain learns gives you that satisfaction. So I guess what I'm wanting to help you understand is how you create that artificially, but it's not really artificial because it's real when you're in trance and you're imagining that happening. And so you're in that future, like one month in the future, and you're imagining that you're with friends and you're part of a group and you're out playing sports and you're out going for a run or you're, you're joining a volunteer group that's going to go and save the world, <laughs> whatever it is. Sure, we're creating it artificially, but in your brain, it's real. Your mind combines that subconscious and conscious brain to flood your body with the things that you feel when you do that. And now you crave that. You crave real life. <laughs> what a concept. And you want to go do things that really give you a much better feeling than the drugs. So if you did go back to the drugs, like with the rats, you know, they had two bottles of water and one had heroin. If they're having these satisfying relationships and they're sitting around their table playing poker together, they go and take a little swig of the heroin and they're like, eh, nah, this is much more fun going and hanging out with my rat friends. We're having cheese today. We got brie camembert. We got blue cheese. We got the cheddar, the sharp cheddar from Ireland. I don't know what rats think. But anyway, that's my point. So I hope you've learned something here. And I want you especially to know that if you are struggling with drug or alcohol addiction, you got to come to me because I got the kick-ass program that's online now. It's a course. It's 14 days. So your first week really deals with getting the addiction issues dealt with, which usually on the third or fourth day, people feel like a new person. The emails I get from people on day three or four is like, wow, what on earth happened? I feel like I've never felt. So anyway, then the second week is working on things like integrity and your worthiness and just your self-esteem and self-love and forgiveness and kindness and getting you to be that person that you really want to be and connect with. So it's more than just about the addiction. It's doing that, but then building the person that you do want to be. And I'm in touch with you every day by chat or email, or you can upgrade it and um, have personal calls with me. Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you go. So the question is, how do you find out about this program? Well, you could go to quitdrinkingnow.com. The program is for drugs or alcohol, but at that URL, you can get the program that is for drugs or alcohol, quitdrinkingnow.com. And um, you could also go to hypnosis.wendy.com. No W's in that one, 
hypnosis.wendy.com. And there you'll just have to use the little search window to go to the addiction program. And that's about it. So I hope you've had a really insightful half an hour learning to understand how your brain and your mind works and why it is so remarkable and miraculous when you use the tools that you were given to make amazing things happen. Alrighty, thanks for being here and I will catch you again.